Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of The Wise Man's Fear and then talk about it. This is page 800 and 8. Sword that hung there. I didn't doubt that it was as precious to the Adam as a child. I made another slow circuit of the tree, pretending to consider my choices, but really just stalling for time. I nervously looked over the items a second time. There was a small book with a brass lock. There was a spindle of grey woolen thread. There was a smooth round stone sitting on a clean white cloth. As I looked at them all, I realized any choice I made could be interpreted so many ways. I didn't know nearly enough about Adam culture to guess what my item might signify. Even if I did, without the name of the wind to guide me back through the canopy, I would be cut to ribbons leaving the tree. Probably not enough to maim me, but enough to make it clear I was a clumsy barbarian who obviously didn't belong. I looked at the gold bar again. If I chose that, at least the weight of it would give me an excuse for being awkward on my way out. Perhaps I could still make a good showing of it. Nervously, I made a third circuit of the tree. I felt the wind pick up, gusting and making the branches flail about more wildly than before. It pulled the sweat from my body, chilling me and making me shiver. In the middle of that anxious moment, I was suddenly aware of nothing as much as the sudden urgent pressure of my bladder. My biology cared nothing for the gravity of my situation, and I was seized with a powerful need to relieve myself. Thus it was, that in the center of a storm of knives, in the midst of my test that was also my trial, that I thought of urinating up against the side of the sacred sword tree while two dozen proud and deadly mercenaries watched me do it. It was such a horrifying and inappropriate thought that I burst out laughing, and when the laugh rolled out of me, the tension knotting my stomach and clawing at the muscles of my back melted away. Whatever choice I made, it would have to be better than pissing on the Latantha. <laughs> at that moment, no longer boiling with anger, no longer gripped with fear, I looked at the moving leaves around me. Always before, when the name of the wind had left me, it had faded like a dream on waking, irretrievable as an echo or a fading sigh. But this time... It was different. I had spent hours watching the patterns of these moving leaves. I looked out through the branches of the tree and thought of Kellyanne jumping and spinning, laughing and running. And there it was, like the name of an old friend that had simply slipped the page, because it's over. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm eating a muffin. <laughs> and Jeremy's eating a muffin. And while Jeremy's eating a muffin, I would like to say that uh, the bit about how he's thinking about uh, anything would be better than him pissing on the Latantha and how that makes him laugh. Like, it, it makes you have the exact same reaction it made him have, which I think is really great. Oh, yeah. It's very funny. And something that is new on this read, because I have since gotten married to somebody, my wife uh, has to pee when it gets cold. And so in this sequence, seeing uh, that Quoth, like, gets cold from the wind and then he has to pee, that rings true to me because now my wife is always complaining when she's cold that she has to pee, which is not a thing I had encountered before. But I'm sure that uh, she's really glad that you just shared that with our entire podcast audience. Yeah, she doesn't well, listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if it'll make Priya feel any better, I also have to pee whenever the temperature changes like when I come in from the cold I have to pee when I go out into the cold I have to pee because my bladder is like shrinking and expanding is that is that what it is your bladder yeah. is sort of a balloon I, say, I definitely yeah. get the like when you when you go from cold into warm that's definitely happened to me but never from warm into cold mm. now on the subject of laughing the laughter kind of helps him have the epiphany and then he can uh he can pick the name of the wind up again. He just needs to relax, man. Well, but exactly. We have already heard that the Lathani comes from the same place as laughing. 
That was no one, one of the yeah. first things that we learned about it. Mm-hmm. When we were learning about Adam culture, it's also foundational to Adam culture that laughter is okay. Mm-hmm. So knowing like the right thing to do, the right action after he's like had this kind of like this hysterical moment is I think significant and interesting. I think we've talked a lot in this part of the book about how all these different ideas, facets of the same idea that the, the Lathani naming, you know, all of this stuff is, is connected. And I think that this is a textual example of it because he laughs, he relaxes, and then he realizes that he can still call the wind. He can still see the, like, see the wind. He's still got his avatar vision on. And he then also realizes, oh, I know what the right choice is to make here in this situation. Yeah, because he goes back to that same place of, of laughter. And as, to your point, Jordana, he did just need to relax because the anger and the fear was toxic and it chased away the wind. Mm-hmm. You see, fear leads to anger. Anger, anger leads, leads to, to hate. Oh, no. And hate leads to, to suffering. suffering. You will know when you are calm at peace. Thanks, Yoda Jeremy. <laughs> but like, actually, though, like this is very Jedi. You know, you know, there is no passion. There is serenity. Yeah, and it, it is. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it it's funny because the last page was so dense, and this page, I feel. Mm-hmm. That's the main. There's like one big thing. idea. Yeah, a... Although I do think that Rothfuss, like the reason that that moment is so funny is because Rothfuss does a great buildup of the situation that he's in. Like the description of like that whole paragraph is just describing like how absurd the situation is. Thus it was that in the center of a storm of knives, in the midst of my test that was also my trial, like it's very surrounded by mercenaries who will beat me to death yes. if I do this. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> surrounded by like twelve like of the deadliest people I can imagine, I will pee on their sacred tree. Like yeah. he builds up to it in a way that is really like satisfying. Like it's it's a joke, right? He's basically like the whole paragraph is like telling the joke. Yeah, yeah. you got to have the lead up and the punchline. Exactly, exactly. And I think we've all been there. I think you know we have definitely. I've definitely. I do this very often. I will like laugh at inappropriate times because I think about how inappropriate it is and how absurd it would be to do something even more inappropriate. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's you know you like imagine having to pee in church and just like walking right up to like to the you know the baptismal font. Yeah, exactly. Baptismal font. The, the, the fountain that has the baptismal, oh. like the holy water. Where they, where they put oh, the right. We've in. had this conversation before where font doesn't always mean the letters. No, it means a fountain. Yes. Well, yes. whatever. Although the baptismal font, I feel like, would be sort of a Helvetica, maybe a, a bold. Oh, no. It would definitely be like an, like an old style, like one of those really... Gothic. Like, yeah, old style Gothic text. I, there's actually, I'm thinking of an exact font and I cannot remember its name. I guess it would depend me. on the type of church, sort of a newer it would depend church on the would have, uh, yeah, like a, a, one of those new hypermodern Fine, I'm, I'm assuming it's like Roman Catholic, so I, I suppose you're right. I had a bias there, but yeah. if it was like... Uh, if it was, if you were on Pandora and you were to pee on like the, the sacred tree there, then the font would be papyrus. Oh God! I hate that you're right. Oh, it's terrible! I'm dying. I'm I dying. Also, think that part of Poe's realization here when he thinks of Kellyanne is that she was onto something. Actually, that mm-hmm. like to approach it like a child playing is is like a way to approach and to rediscover this this state. Mm-hmm. Like Do she we... wasn't just playing among the trees; that she's onto something when she's out there jumping and spinning, laughing and running. Mm-hmm. As a child would. And don't we all wish we could go back to those days? I mean, I do cartwheels at least twice a week, so... Uh, fair enough. But you're also, and I say this 
I mean this as a compliment. You are the most childish among us. Hey now, I spent four hours last Sunday playing Nerf. Okay. You have space for Nerf? No, I wasn't doing it here. Oh, okay. Were you playing with a child? Uh, There were children involved, yeah. Okay. That sounds to me like it's caregiving rather than There were also like 40-year-old dudes in tactical gear doing it. Oh, okay. Then then it's cringe. I'm sorry, Jared. (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm cringe, and that's why I am free. You are all trapped in the prism of wanting to be based. I understand that the only way to truly be based is to not care if you're cringe or not. Dang. You just got me there. That's right. That's true. Children do not care if they are cringe. Actually, they... Well, eventually they do. And that's what makes them cringe. Mm. Oh, no. The little children are based. Especially when they are... Cringing based both sound like bad things. (laughs) I mean, they also... Can you only be one or the other? Yes. Yes. And they're they're both bad. But (laughs) truly, the best situation is to sit in your own simmering juices for several hours to increase the flavor. So we should all go to a hot spring. Well, I'm talking about being basted, which is even better. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Based, baster, basted. <laughs> right. Okay. So back to the page. Any more notes? Uh, just that I like the other evocative objects he, he spots on his next round around the tree. A book with a brass lock, a spindle of gray woolen thread, small you, round stone on a clean white cloth. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me a little bit of Planescape Torment and to a lesser degree, Torment Tides of Numenera, which Rothfuss wrote for. Because there's often in those games a situation where you're like confronted with a, a pile of interesting objects and you have the option to like inspect each object and each object sort of like has a little mystery in it or some kind of interesting story. And it, it reminds me of that. And just generally, that's also a good thing to throw into your RPG, like have some evocative objects and then let your players puzzle over what they're supposed to do with them or what they mean. Yeah, especially if they mean nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, if you want to really drive your players insane. Yeah. So yeah I, I recently did that in a campaign. <laughs> it, was, it was a good time, although they all figured out right away which object was the important one, which means I didn't do a great job. But <laughs> Well, you, that better that than to... Like mention the the reverse of this problem, the opposite of this problem is like you're describing a room to them to like give it some flavor, and then they start obsessing over a detail that you just mentioned to give the room some flavor, and they're convinced that it's a clue. And at some point, you just be like, guys, literally, it's just a curtain. It's just a curtain. It doesn't mean anything. There's not a secret behind it. It's a curtain. I just described it well. That's all. My new favorite thing to do when they open a door is I say, "How do you open the door?" <laughs> yeah, and then they obsess for an hour about what the right way to open the door is. <laughs> And listeners, you will open the doors of perception on tomorrow's page. Uh, the wind. wind.